I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here. And, you know, last night was one of those nights, uh, you know, I've got allergies, so I woke up sneezing. But, you know, when I wake up and lay in bed, you know, the wheels were turning. And so this morning I finally got up, took a while to kind of get my motor running, trying to process all that I have today. It's a busy one. And just wondering if I have the bandwidth to, to manage it all. Now, you probably didn't think anything as I was saying that. Uh, but did you notice that all of my metaphors put me in the position of a machine. We do that. I, I, I get that. We use it to communicate things. But are there better metaphors for our lives? Maybe a better way to think of ourselves uh, and to communicate what's really going on? Well, that's an interesting question. We're going to explore that today with my guest who has a book called You Are a Tree. Okay. And that's obviously a metaphor. Uh, it's written by Joy Marie Clarkson. And uh, it's more than just a metaphor, I believe. And there's some other ones she explores. It's a better way, to, I think, to understand ourselves, uh, maybe understand God, understand our place in this world, how we function. So this will be uh, something to kind of stretch your mind a little bit today. Appreciate you guys being here. Chat is open. If you're watching on a chat-enabled channel, we welcome your kind comments. Joy, welcome to Life Today Live. Great to have you. I'm so excited to talk with you today. So I got to admit, you know, I get, we get pitches and books and I've got stacks and stacks in my office and I saw yours and I went, you are a tree. What, what, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so that's my first question is, what is this? <laughs> is that the question? That's the question. All right. Well, you know, I liked that. I liked that title because I think people have kind of um, an intuitive response to it. They might say, I'm not a tree or more just kind of like, well, why would you say that? Yeah. And uh, that that title is drawn actually from the Psalms. So it's drawn from Psalm 1 where it says, it's talking about the, the blessed person or the righteous person. It says, they are like a tree planted by streams of living water, mm. which bears its fruit in season. And whatever they do prospers and they do not wither. And the reason I chose that that uh, title is because the book kind of metaphor meditates on how the metaphors we use in our lives shape how we live, right? Mm. So if you use, which I have to say that was a very clever introduction, it took me at least three metaphors before I realized what you were doing. <laughs> you know, if we talk about ourselves like machines, then we expect ourselves to act like machines. And, and that can mean many things. It can mean that we expect ourselves to be um, the same kind of productive every single day that we get frustrated with ourselves when we find that we have less capacity than we used to. It can mean that we expect ourselves to be rational and um, and to always make decisions in a very clean and orderly way. And when we find ourselves acting like human beings and, and not behaving like machines, then we become frustrated and feel guilty. And so my feeling is that that is not the most appropriate metaphor for human being mm -hmm. and that the more we use it the more we kind of sink into to guilt to exhaustion um, and to harshness both to ourselves and others so i think there's lots of metaphors like that and um it's just an example of how our simple way of speaking can shape 
our expectations of ourselves, how we live, and our kind of emotional life. And so You Are a Tree is meant to be kind of a provocative pushing back against that habit that we all have of speaking mechanistically, which makes sense, right? We use machines all the time. You and I are talking through machines and into machines and projecting to other people's machines. Machines do us um, very well, but we are not machines. We are more like trees. I, I like it. And, you know, actually, I, I was reading, doing some research. I forget who it was, but some, like, I recognize his name. So famous philosopher. Uh, and it's been 100, 150 years or so. I actually went down this whole path of humans as machines. And, of course, back in the day, it was mm. wheels and cogs and things like that. Mm -hmm. But out of that, he, you know, basically theorized that we are complex machines mm. when we do that do we not strip out an essential spiritual element of who god created us to be yes i think so um it's interesting what you were just describing so you know um about more than half the time my the cap that i wear is as a scholar and an academic so i teach mm. at universities and um, a big part of what people talk about as kind of the disenchantment kind of narrative of modernity is this idea that the whole world began to be conceived of as a giant machine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it does it does strip us of of the spiritual because it just it just imagines that all these kind of cogs and and wheels turning is all there is. But I think it's also just an inaccurate description even of our bodies because current research shows that you know, our bodies aren't just like a car where you can take out the wheel and replace it with another one. There's these complex interconnecting um, systems. We have microbiomes that take care of somehow our stomach and our brain. There's this just magnificent connections, even in our physical bodies, that are much more like a tree than a machine. And I think that's also true um, when it comes to how we relate to the rest of the world. You know, we're finding more and more that our connection with other people, with communities, with a faith community, those kind of interconnected nature of mm. life, the sense of like trees being rooted and attached to sources of nourishment um, is being found to be more appropriate to describe both the physical body and the, the social and emotional life of human beings. And so I think that we have this kind of habit as humans of, um, you know, if, if you hear the phrase to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> right. And I think if we describe ourselves as machines, then we'll what we will see as machines but if we think of ourselves as more organic, if we open up that metaphor to something more holistic, we'll start to see more possibilities, more connections. Yeah, I, I think so. So you mentioned uh, your academic role. Are you, you're at King's College in London, is that right? That is correct. So where's the accent? Ah, uh, the accent is American. So I'm from, uh, I, I always feel bad because I think it'd be so much more interesting if I had a Scottish or even just, you know, a generic English accent. Um, <laughs> no. But I'm, I'm from, I'm mostly from Colorado. And but I've lived here for the better part of a decade. I did my PhD at St. Andrews University. And now I teach at King's. Okay. All right. Very cool. I just just curious about that. I did expect the, the, <laughs> when you came on the, the British accent. But no, it's all good. Um, so here's here's a question. When you we look at uh, metaphors, uh, the Bible obviously is full of them. I mean, Jesus said, "I'm I am the vine; you are the branches." Do you is that? I've always, I guess I've always thought that that's just God's way of explaining more complex things in terms that I can understand. Mm -hmm. But is there maybe more that He's communicating? Actually, more than just 
something that I can understand, but actually a deeper truth and functionality, some of which you just touched on? Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's definitely an element to it, right, that um, God helps us understand things in ways that are accessible to us. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to understand um, the nature of wisdom. But when I think about light and I see how if there's light in someone's path, they know how to proceed, they don't trip over things, then that becomes a tangible, visible way for me to understand something that's more complex. And I think that's certainly true. But I think there's also maybe the deeper thing that I notice is a way in which that there's, it's not just arbitrary that things visible in the world reveal spiritual truths to us, that there's this kind of resonance that God puts into the world, that the world is kind of articulate and poetic, that when we pay attention to our everyday experiences of life, that it actually has something to reveal about our spiritual and emotional realities mm-hmm. um, because God created the world as a place that is good and has integrity. And so we should expect that the the tangible things in the world that we use to make metaphors are meaningful, not just because they're good illustrations, but because God has invested creation with this kind of communicative capacity to reveal itself to us and to show us things about God. Mm-hmm. I like that. So now, do you have cherry trees in Colorado? I don't recall ever seeing a cherry tree in Colorado. No, the cherry tree that I talk about was in <laughs> Oxford. Oh. And that was, so that was after I finished my PhD and I moved, I was in Oxford for a year. All right. <laughs> what did you learn from a cherry tree? So I, um, I tell a story in the book of, I finished my studies. I was kind of totally exhausted. I was wiped out. It was after COVID, that whole uh, mess. And I moved to this new little house and I had a cherry tree outside my window. And I only lived there for a full year. But um, in the year that I was there, the tree went from totally stark, kind of barren, almost naked, no leaves, to the spring when it started to have these little buds. And then it had these almost kind of highlighter, it literally glowed in the dark petals. And then it moved into summer and it was it had this amazing abundant foliage and then back into the fall and it began to, the leaves began to fall again. And as I watched this cherry tree go through each season and each season was so different and so kind of beautiful and needful in its own way, right? It couldn't have the, the blooms in spring if it hadn't lost all of its leaves in winter. Mm. It couldn't have the foliage in summer if those petals didn't eventually fall off. And in watching it go through all those seasons, it helped me understand that as a human being, I also have seasons, that not every season of my life is the same. There will be seasons when there is abundant growth and new possibility and new life in spring, and there will be seasons of great harvest. And there will also be seasons where it will seem like nothing is happening, where everything's been stripped away, and where whatever growth is happening is happening under the surface where even I can't really perceive it. And the cherry tree kind of taught me that that is okay, that there is a beauty in the fact that that is how we are created, to be seasonal. And to that when we find ourselves in winter seasons, kind of not to panic. If you find yourself in a season when it seems like nothing's happening and there's no growth in your life, mm-hmm. Don't panic. Say, what might God have for me here? How might my roots be growing deep in ways that I can't even perceive? Mm. So that is what my my cherry tree taught me. I like that. I Right now, I'm not learning good things from trees. Is there a metaphor for allergies and the trees that are... <laughs> <laughs> so you, there are other metaphors that you do explore. Um, you you have several for, for love. Uh, and I, mm. I think this is 
good imagery and a good way to think of it. Um, Because, you know, love is one of those words and our (laughs) culture doesn't know what to do with it. It can be transactional. It can be meaningless. You know, I mean, Mm. what what do you see from Scripture that is a, a healthy way to think about the concept of love? Mm-hmm. So I start that, that chapter is rather kind of controversially called uh, love as a disease. <laughs> and <laughs> that's partially, you know, scripture actually does have some of that language when it talks about the heart is, um, can be sick and things like that. But also just a lot of the language we use, we talk about falling in love, being crazy in love, <laughs> um, you know, being lovesick. And that goes way back to the Greek philosophers. You know, Plato has this whole dialogue where they talk about, is it better to be in love? But love makes you, you know, like forget all of your appointments and makes all your family angry. And it's like this kind of temporary madness. So that's a very, very old, deep metaphor. Love is kind of a madness or a sickness that comes upon you. But in the chapter, what I talk about is how that metaphor invites us to see ourselves as very passive in love, it makes us think of love as something that kind of, you, you know, and the, I think it's a Katy Perry song that says, don't be afraid to catch feelings. It's like catching a cold and having allergies. You know, it's something that just happens to you. Um, you have very little choice in it. You can't do anything about it. And it just, it comes and it goes. But scripture offers us other metaphors for love that I find really beautiful. So it talks about love as a home. You know, Jesus talks about um, come and if you invite us, we'll come and make your home with you. And um, and we use that language kind of intuitively in love as well, right? We talk about letting someone in or feeling at home with someone mm-hmm. or shutting someone out, right? That's this idea of love being a place. And what I love about that metaphor is that it has more kind of agency, right? A home is a place um, of safety. So there's a certain level where you don't let everyone into your home, right? You should not let intruders into your home. So you don't let intruders into love. There's a certain level at which love has to be a place of safety, but it's also something that you that you can um, make work for you. So I live in my little flat, but there has been this ongoing leak. It is Scotland um, for you know a long time, but you work with the home that you have. You you make it more lovely. You make it comfortable for you. Make it at home. Um, that is suited to your personality and that is a safe place to be. So I love that metaphor and mm-hmm. kind of explore that also in scripture as a metaphor for love that I think is more lasting. It's not just something that happens to you, but it's something that you can cultivate and become more at home in and more comfortable over years and years. And you can mend and take care of and tend to. I like that. I, I like that a lot. I like the, I, I guess maybe the depth, the, the, picturesque nature of metaphors um mm. and i don't know it's, it, it this is something obviously you've thought about a lot more than me because i think we just throw them around a lot of times but there's something i don't know there's something about that that really rings true i, mm. I don't know why I, I, have you thought about the impact of the power of of metaphor in helping us live our lives well, I hope that's sort of what the book does. Yeah, so at the yeah, end of every okay. chapter. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I guess I, um, this is new to me. So uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I am. Um, so you know, the the subtitle is, um, and other metaphors to nourish life, thought, and prayer. And I really yeah. do think that these metaphors, they really do change how we live. So there's a great book um, by some 
neuroscientists called metaphors we live by. And they talk about just how fundamental metaphors are to language and to how we conduct ourselves in the world. Um, but so I think these really do have, they yeah. do, yeah. they do have an impact. You know, if you are, if you switch your thinking to love as a home, I'm going to build a home that mm. is safe, that is yeah. comfortable, that is my personality with the person that I love. That has a real impact versus if you think about love as a disease that comes and then thank goodness you're over it at some point, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so at the end of every chapter, I share kind of it's called living, thinking, praying. So it's kind of pulling out what are the practical ways that this can help us change our thought life and change how we live and also how we pray and approach God. Hmm. Yeah. When, when I was growing up, the question was, what's love but a secondhand emotion? What a terrible. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite sad. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. This is the book, You Are a Tree by Joy Marie Clarkson. And this is, this is, I, I love language. And so this is, I, I, I find exercise, but there's just a lot of depth here. There's another one that I love. This is, I say this all the time because it really has helped me uh, have grace towards other people uh, and maybe understand myself, my children, you know, and that's this mm -hmm. idea of life as a journey. Mm. And I think, you know, I love Pilgrim's Progress growing up, uh, you know, I love all the, the Tolkien tales, of, you know, and it's this, it's this journey. It's going from one place to another, going through things, growing, not necessarily being at your destination, but mm. getting to the destination. Uh, and that, that, that metaphor has really resonated with me. What are you, what are you communicating in the idea of, of life as a journey? Hmm. Well, the thing I like about life as a journey is it's kind of at odds with the metaphor of people as trees, right? Successful trees <laughs> yeah. kind of stay put. Um, but I think what I'm getting at with the idea of life as a journey is this sense that life is uh, in process, right? It's it's not, we, we don't arrive somewhere in life and we're done, you know? I think the older you get, the more you realize that when you're a kid, you have in your head like, well, when I get to X point, I will have arrived in life, right? If I graduate college or get a good job or get married. But the more those things kind of begin to cumulatively happen in your life, the more you realize that you are, you're still on the journey. You still haven't mm -hmm. arrived. And I love um, St. Augustine in this. So St. Augustine, you know, one of the most influential kind of thinkers in the, uh, in the Christian tradition, it was the main, it was the main metaphor that he used and he used it in two ways. One was in the sense of uh, being on a journey. So the sense of transit and, that we're not we're, we're never kind of arrive in life but another was the sense of exile the sense that when you're traveling or going somewhere when you're on a pilgrimage or you're, when you're going on vacation there's also a sense that you have this kind of achiness for home and this sense of being kind of exiled in place you belong and i think the reason i love this metaphor of life as a journey is it helps us kind of have mercy for and think about where we are on in our journey yes. you know that life is this ongoing process but it also reminds us that we have this kind of homesickness, this desire for a heavenly home mm. that is just a part of being a human being mm. and that that we will kind of maybe carry that with us most of our lives. Yeah. And that actually that's a good thing because it reminds us that the journey does have a destination yeah. and it wasn't finishing college or getting married or getting a good job. It is that kind of desire for for a heavenly and permanent home where we can sink our, our, our roots deep. And that those kind of unresolved metaphors of being a human being, being a tree, and being a 
being on a journey actually will one day resolve. See, you know, I knew you would just bring that metaphor even (laughs) to more life. I love that. And, you know, it's not completely at odds with the idea of a tree because when you plant a seed, you know, I'm trying to grow some shrubs Mm. in my yard and it's been years and I'm like, come on, grow, grow, you know, but they they do have a journey. It's upward. Exactly. So it is, it is, it's a process, I think, is the, the idea there. It's not like Day of the Triffids, if you know what that is, where the trees get up and walk. Uh, anyway, okay. La- last thing I have to ask about, and I didn't have a chance to read this in the book. I just saw this in the notes, and I thought, what what in the world is going on there? Because I've been, <laughs> I've been uh, to England many times. Um, I've ridden uh, the underground in London and all the way to, to Wales and up in the north and stuff. So the, other than the exhaust in the tunnels in London, because yeah, the train mm-hmm. comes through, that wind is just... <laughs> I kind of like the trains. I'm I'm good with them. But do, mm. you you not so much? What's going on there? Yes. Well, so I have to take the trains quite a lot because I'm um because I work in London. And I will say that my perspective has changed now that my daily route does not take me on the Bakerloo line. So I feel more positive <laughs> about the <laughs> about the tube now that I'm off the Bakerloo line. No, but um I in the book I talk about how um, I personally kind of experience a little bit of anxiety every time I go on the tube because you're, you do get that terrible gust of kind of mysteriously warm wind that feels oh, yeah. kind of unclean. Awesome. And, yeah. but you're also just, you're in a tight, small space with thousands of strangers. You're deep under the ground. So if anything happens, you know, that's that, you know, you had a good run. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and, you know, and then you get on these trains and they really haven't changed. The tube has not really changed since it was constructed in the 19th century. And so I just experienced a fair bit of kind of like, you know, all the phobias, the claustrophobia, the uh, the being around strangers, the darkness, all of those things. <laughs> but what I talk about in the book is that there's something um, when we talk about safety and security, we tend to use the language of up and down. So we talk about being on top, being the top at the top of your game. Mm. We talk about underdogs. We talk about being under someone's authority. We talk about being down and out. So when we are when we are successful, when we are secure, when we are safe, um, you know, the Lord is is a stronghold, right? It's that mm. sense of being up and above. And when we feel insecure, it's being in the tube, surrounded by strangers with hot wind coming from the Lord knows where. <laughs> so that that's where my uh, that's where my antagonism towards the tube comes from. <laughs> I will say I am I'm a great fan of the overground, though. It it is it is like being on a Disneyland ride, except for you're going through London. <laughs> yeah, and the countryside is beautiful out there. So there's that. Mm-hmm. And it beats having to drive across the United States, as you know, being from Colorado. I've done that drive many times. All right. Mm. This is good. I like this. Uh, I want to show people your website real quick. You can visit Joy at joyclarkson.com. Looks just like that. Um, and this is this is thoughtful. I, I appreciate the depth of this and the thought you put into this. Is there anything you want to add before I let you go? I don't think so. I hope people will read it and will come to the true conclusion that they are trees. But if they don't, I want to hear why. Oh, okay. And they can reach you at your website. Is that fair? They can indeed. All right. Well, um, check out Joy's book. And if you disagree, well, I mean, you're disagreeing with scripture, so that's kind of a no-go. <laughs> but you can tell her. You can express your thoughts to her at her website. Appreciate you guys being here. Uh, the book is available wherever you get books. It is called You Are a Tree. And if you want to encourage somebody, hit that share button. We'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live.
of divine mercy.